I'm looking forward to um, diving into today's message with you. For those of you who are new, you're joining us here for the first time, first of all, welcome. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF. And uh, if you've been with us the, the better part of this last month, you know that we've been working through this series called Essentials, Ancient Doctrines for Today. And uh, we're coming to part five of this six-part series that we're going to be concluding next week. Uh, so be here for that as we wrap Round out uh, this series on ancient doctrines, uh, but today we're going to be in part five, and we come to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, it, it, again, if you've been tracking with with us, we've covered a lot so far in the series. We opened up the series by talking about the doctrine of God, and then we talked about the doctrine of Scripture. Then we talked about the doctrine of sin. Then we talked about the doctrine of Jesus. Like, like we we talked about a lot. By the way, if you missed any of those messages. They're all available on our website and on Apple Podcasts. You could watch it or listen to it and catch up that way. But we've been working through this series asking ourselves the question, what do we really believe about these doctrines, these various faith topics? I mean, that's what a doctrine is. After all, it's a set of beliefs. It's a set of faith beliefs. And we're asking this question because we believe that what we believe really matters, we believe that what we believe really matters because we believe that what we believe informs how we live. What we believe colors how we see life. What we believe filters how we interact with each other and how we relate to each other. And more often than not, I find that the average Christian has a hard time articulating what it is that they believe. They have a hard time articulating their belief systems. And if they're able to articulate their beliefs, they don't always know why they believe what they believe. And so in this series, we've been trying to bring a greater sense of clarity to what is essential to the Christian faith. Now, we're not going to cover all 2,000 plus years of, of Christian doctrine and everything that Christians everywhere believe. I mean, there's, there's no way you can't fit that into a six-week sermon series. But hopefully as we've been going through the series, we've been bringing a greater sense of clarity to like what is really essential to the Christian faith? What is absolutely essential? And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today, you say, I'm a Christian. I check that box. I'm a, I'm a lover of Jesus, follower of Jesus. I've submitted my life to Jesus. Hopefully this gives you a framework. Hopefully we're providing for you some language for, hey, did you know that as you identify yourself as a Christian, as a Christ follower, this is what you're professing belief in. Did you know that, right? Like, and, and so to be a Christian doesn't mean that you just, you're part of a campus ministry or a church. We're, we're trying to lay out like at the base level, here is what is most essential to what it means that you are a follower of Jesus. Here are fundamental doctrinal beliefs. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're maybe exploring, maybe, you, maybe you're not so sure what you believe, my hope is that this series would be helpful and informative to you, and who knows, maybe somewhere down the road, you might end up believing some of these things that we're talking about here at ACF. And so we're talking about this series, and today we come to this series to a point where we're now talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What is it that we believe about the Holy Spirit? Now, depending on your church background or your faith background, you'll probably hear varying degrees of responsiveness when it comes to your beliefs around the Holy Spirit. 
For instance, if you grew up in an ultra-conservative church or maybe even a cessationist church, a cessationist, by the way, is just someone who believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit do not exist today. Cessationists believe that things like prophecy or speaking in tongues and healings and signs and wonders and miracles have died off with the first century church, the apostolic church. And so if you grew up in a church tradition like that or if you grew up in a belief system like that, you might not have a very positive outlook on the role of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, if you grew up in a charismatic church, uh, charismatic not in the way of personality, but in theology, we're referring to the charismatic movement, charismata is the Greek word that's found in your New Testament Bibles that's used, that translates to divine gifts of grace. This word charismata is often used to describe things like spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit as laid out in the New Testament. And so if you grew up in a charismatic church, say like a Pentecostal church or an Assemblies of God church or a Vineyard church, you'll have a very different perspective on the Holy Spirit than our cessationist brothers and sisters. If you have no church background, if you have no faith background, the whole subject of the Holy Spirit might give you the heebie-jeebies. I mean, there's a theological term for you right there. The heebie-jeebies, right? It's, it's Hebrew for I feel uncomfortable, okay? It's not really. But, but the, the, he, you might feel like, ah, you know, maybe for you, you know, the, 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 this whole idea of talking about the Holy Spirit might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I remember uh, long ago, I heard one pastor describe the Holy Spirit as the crazy uncle of the Trinity. You know, like when crazy uncle Bob shows up at your family reunion, you don't know what crazy uncle bob's gonna do or say you know you just hide your wife hide your kids you don't know what's what's gonna happen uh, a lot of times i think that's how we think about the holy spirit it's like man he's the he's like the crazy uncle bob of the trinity because let's face it right the truth is this everyone can get on board with god even if you don't even if you don't you don't believe in god or you don't have a, a belief system or a religious background most people have sort of a a cognitive framework, an intellectual framework for a God. Most people dig Jesus. I mean, like even non-religious people, right? Like there's another theological term for you. I'm just, I'm, I'm filling you with all sorts of theological terms. They dig Jesus. They like Jesus. It's like, I might not believe that he's the son of God, but I really appreciate his teachings. I, I believe that he existed at one time. There, there's, there's abounding evidence for that. Like, yes, yes, I, I like Jesus. I like God. Like that's all cool. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden everyone gets a little funny. Everyone gets a little weird and uncomfortable. I want to bring a little bit of clarity to what I believe is the most misunderstood member of the Holy Trinity. And I want to share with you a few important facts about the Holy Spirit. And, and here's how I want to talk about it. I want to talk about who he is. I want to talk about what he does. And I'm going to close out talking about what our response ought to be. We'll talk about who he is, what he does, and what our response ought to be as followers of Jesus. So, who is he? The Holy Spirit is. Ready for this? The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a part of the Trinity. He's a gift from God, and he is Christ's successor. If, now, now we can unpack a whole, we can tag on a, a dozen more uh, things that, that we can describe using, uh, that, that we can describe the Holy Spirit as, but the Holy Spirit at, at its most core level is a person, a part of the Trinity, a gift from God, and Christ's successor. And now let me just unpack these just real quickly. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
Now, not in the way of flesh and bones, like how we have, you know, the, the, this sort of body, uh, you know, not in that sense, but in other words, the Holy Spirit is, is not an it. There's a very clear reason why I'm asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? I'm very intentional with that. Because the Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. The Holy Spirit is not sort of this cosmic ball of universal power out there. I remember long ago, I heard Oprah, of all people, like, you know, describe the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's like a, a power out there. No, Oprah, the Holy Spirit is not a power. I like, yeah, I'm not knocking Oprah. I appreciate Oprah, but she's not a theologian, okay? She's not, she, so the, the, the Holy Spirit is not this sort of power out there. The Holy Spirit is a very real person. Whenever the Holy Spirit is referenced in Scripture, you'll never find the word it associated with the Holy Spirit. You'll always find he, he. And he, believe it or not, has emotions, just like you and me. He feels things like a person does. Ephesians 4, Paul gives us instruction. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Would you know that the Holy Spirit can get his feelings hurt? And I don't mean in a petty kind of way, but in a way where he can be actually emotionally offended because he's got emotions. The Holy Spirit, did you know, has personal thoughts. He knows stuff that we don't know. The Holy Spirit has thoughts that are beyond our thoughts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the mysteries of God here. He says these. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Hey, just FYI, a thing cannot go searching for things. The Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit actually has the ability to comprehend and possess thoughts. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has desires? Very much like you. The Holy Spirit has a will very much like a person does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts, the charismata again here, and he says, all these, these being the spiritual gifts, the charismata, are empowered by one and the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. A thing or a vague power source out there cannot possess these qualities like an emotion, like thoughts, personal thoughts, like desires and a will. Only a person can. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is also part of the Trinity. Now, we mentioned this, and you may already know this, but I don't want to gloss over this too quickly because the reason I bring this up is because I think subconsciously, hear me, I think subconsciously for some of us in our minds, we see the Holy Spirit as some kind of lesser version of God. We, we see them as, now we would never say that, but I, I think for some of us, again, subconsciously, we see the Holy Spirit as some sort of sub-God or, or, or a demigod. You know, like he's the Christian version of Thor. Like he's, a, he's kind of a, it's not quite God-God, but he's kind of a, you know, he kind of falls somewhere in that range. He's, the Holy Spirit, I need you to understand this, okay, because this, this has profound implications on our lives, on our everyday lives. The Holy Spirit, you need to know, is fully God. 
Say that with me. Fully God. Say that with me one more time. Like, like you're awake, okay? Like it's not a post-Penn State football game weekend, okay? Say it with me one more time. He is fully God. He is fully God. He is not some sort of lesser version of God because he is part of just as much as we would think God, our Heavenly Father, is fully God. Just like how we would think Jesus is fully God, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, which makes him what? Fully God. And if he is fully God, we need the Holy Spirit as much as we need the Heavenly Father. We need the Holy Spirit as much as we need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. In other words, uh, hear me. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of accessory to the Christian faith. Did you hear me? He is not some kind of accessory to, he is not an add-on to the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit is not an upgrade option. Like when you're buying a car, it's like I could go cloth or leather. I'll upgrade to the leather. I'll upgrade to the premium sound. Get some Bose speakers in my car. Upgrade from the factory setting. He is not an upgrade to your life. He is essential to your life. He is not an add-on. He is not an accessory. If he is truly part of the Holy Trinity, which makes him fully God, we need him as much as we need our Heavenly Father. We need the Holy Spirit as much as Jesus. No one, none of us who have walked with Jesus any length of time would say, I can do this faith journey apart from God. No one would say that. No one would say, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus, sans Jesus, apart from Jesus, without Jesus. And yet, I think for so many of us, we have gone living our lives tragically neglecting the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we have forgotten altogether that he is fully God. Now, I'm not going to attempt to try to unpack the doctrine of the Trinity here. Scholars have been trying to do that for, for a long, long time. We're not going to try to do that here, but I just want to make the point the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, which makes him fully God. The Holy Spirit is also a gift from God. I want you to listen to what the gospel writer Luke says. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is saying these things to his disciples. He says, listen, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Right? Some of you know this. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see what Jesus did there? Jesus is making this powerful correlation between the giving of the Holy Spirit and the giving of good gifts. He's saying, guys, don't you know that the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts that the Father has for you? In chapter 2 of, of the book of Acts, Peter's preaching to this massive crowd, and he tells them, hey, guys, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, friends, we need to understand it is a gift to be treasured, not a power or force to be afraid of. The, the, the Holy Spirit is a gift to be received, not a thing to be rejected or neglected. The Holy Spirit is one of God's greatest gifts right next to Jesus that he has given freely to us. Speaking of Jesus, this last one, the Holy Spirit is Christ's successor. 
When I say he's Christ's successor, I'm not talking about that he is the second coming of Christ. Rather, he is the presence of Christ with us here today. You want to know when Jesus said in the Great Commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, behold, he says what? What's the promise he gives at the end? He says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Do you know how he's able to fulfill that promise? It's through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus meant by that was not, I'm going to be with you in sort of a theoretical sense. You know, like, hey, just remember all the things I said, and it's like I'm with you. No, 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 that's not, that's not what Jesus meant there. When he said, lo and behold, I will be with you to the very end of the age, he meant in a very literal sense through the gift of the Holy Spirit as he serves as Christ's successor. In fact, in John chapter 16, he leans into this. Jesus says, listen, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, guess what? He's coming. I'm going to send him your way. And he's going to fill you. And you see, for Jesus, there was a sense of urgency and weightiness to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus instructed his disciples. Do you remember in the opening uh, uh, chapter of, of Acts, he tells his disciples, hey guys, wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. In other words, wait for my successor. I'm leaving, but as I leave, I'm gonna send someone else to help you and be with you. Wait for my successor. And he said, only then will you receive power from on high and only then will you be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. That includes right here on the campus of Penn State. You will receive power to be my witnesses as you live as college students here at Penn State University. Only when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, it was every intention of Christ that the mission of the church would be initiated and carried on by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we cannot effectively be the church without the Holy Spirit. You don't have a church without the Holy Spirit. In fact, a lot of scholars have debated over the, over the course of history, when was the birth of the church? And this is, we're gonna to touch on this some next week as we talk about, close out the series by talking about the doctrine of the church. What do we believe about the church? Right, like, and we'll talk about that, but scholars have debated, like, when was the church born? And most scholars have landed on Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on all the disciples and the early believers, that was when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered the people of God to be the church. Friends, we cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. You don't have a church without the Holy Spirit. And so we, this is, this is, that's, how, that's why it's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is Christ's successor. Now, man, there's so much more we can say about who the Holy Spirit is, but we're going to leave it at that for now because I want to share with you just a few quick things that the Holy Spirit does. We know who he is, right? Okay, we, we talked about that. Now, what in the world does he do? Well, here it is. The Holy Spirit, ready for this? He regenerates, he convicts, 
and he empowers. Now, he does a heck of a lot more than that, but for the sake of time, we're just going to hone in on these three. He regenerates the term. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The term regenerate means to make new, to make brand new. When the Bible says we are a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come, that's talking about the work of regeneration. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us and creates us into new beings. How many of you grew up in the church and you've heard this term, and maybe you you didn't grow up in the church, and maybe you, you still know the term. Being born again, right? How many of you, right? Like, I'm seeing some head nods. Born again. Are you a born again Christian? Are you a born again? Like, we don't use that term too much, like, in modern day. But, like, I remember growing up, that was the, that was the question to test whether you were a true follower of Jesus or not. Like, are you a, are you a born again Christian? And, and if you asked an average Penn State student that, they'd be like, what, what, do you, what does that even mean, born again? And that was sort of the, the, the response here in John chapter 3 when Jesus first mentions this concept. You want to know where that term comes from? It comes from John chapter 3. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he says to him, uh, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? In other words, like, what are you, what are you talking about, born again? What does that mean? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Don't try to, don't try to picture that. It's just a weird, I don't, I don't know where Nicodemus was going with that, but like, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, no, 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 you're not understanding this. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Friends, what Jesus is talking about here is the work of the Holy Spirit, how he creates us into a new being, a new creation, whereby we are born again, not of flesh only, but of Spirit. In fact, the Old Testament speaks to this in Ezekiel. God says this. I'm, I'm throwing a lot of passages your way because I want you to know these are not my thoughts. Okay, this, is, this comes from God's holy authoritative word. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God says to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we talk about regeneration, this is precisely what we're talking about. Taking a heart of stone, exchanging it by the work of the Holy Spirit as he forms the character of Christ in us, we are given new hearts. The Holy Spirit will take your old desires and give you brand new ones. The Holy Spirit will take your longings and give you brand new ones that are aligned with Christ's longings. By the way, this is effectively what happens when someone gets saved. You want to know how someone, you, you, you want to know what happens behind the curtains when someone gets saved? When someone is born again, when someone gives their heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates them and gives them a completely new heart and a new mind. For some of us, we we got saved not too long ago, <clears throat> right? Some of us, some of us remember this. Like, and, and I've been, I, for as long as I've been a follower of Jesus, I, I've known this to be true. When we get saved, there's something internally inside of us that changes radically. 
not like a few degrees, but like there's something in us that, that almost takes a complete full 180. Our dreams and our hopes for our lives change. Our perspective on how we see life, it changes. Our attitudes change. Our, our priorities, what we deemed as important at one time, pre-conversion, pre-salvation, pre-meeting Jesus, all of those priorities begin to all of a sudden shift. Our relationships are viewed from an entirely different filter. We are literally made into a brand new person with a brand new heart, with a brand new mind. That's regeneration. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. For those of us who've got, gotten saved not too long ago, you're, you're experiencing all of that. You can credit that to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who does all of that work in and through us. But the Holy Spirit not only regenerates, but he also convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. Now, after we're given new hearts and new minds, the Holy Spirit keeps us in line with the heart of God by convicting us of sin. Now, this might be the part of the, the role of the Holy Spirit that we're not super jazzed about. We don't particularly love this part of the Holy Spirit, but let me remind you, if the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, all that he does is a gift to us. If the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, all that he does is a gift to us, including the convictions of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, this is where we find this in this one little verse. And when he, he being the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But now what do we mean by the Holy Spirit convicts? When you think about convictions from a legal standpoint, that would be a declaration of someone's guilt of their crime. A convict is someone who is guilty of their crime, right? And so when the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, he is essentially declaring over the world what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. The, the work of conviction of the Holy Spirit, when he convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, he is declaring of the world, just like in a legal standing, he is declaring of the world what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. And so you want to know how to best walk in the ways of God? Listen to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Those moments when he lets you know, hey, hey, this is, there's a better way here. This is not the way I want you to go. This is not the heart of the Father. You want to know how to live a life that's pleasing to the Father? Pay attention to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Those moments when you sense a prodding of your conscience, a slight internal nudge, that ever so subtle shove of your spirit. Pay attention to those moments because it can be very well that the Holy Spirit in those moments is convicting you of sin and righteousness. Lastly, the Holy Spirit empowers the Holy Spirit empowers. You see, the awesome thing about how the Holy Spirit works is he doesn't just tell us what's right from wrong. He actually enables us to live rightly. He's not just sitting back as kind of the authoritative judge and pointing fingers at us and saying, that's wrong, that's right, that's right, no, that's right. do this, do it. don't do that. Do it. The Holy Spirit is not barking out orders from heaven. The Holy Spirit is not barking out orders as he dwells inside of us. That's not, that's not what he does. The Holy Spirit actually empowers us to live the lives we're called to live, but we can never live on our own. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the lives that we're called to live, but can never live on our own. That's, that's incredible news of who the Holy Spirit is. Have you ever thought about all the things that Jesus instructed us to do? Just look at through the red letters of Jesus. All the different things that he's called us to live out, like love your enemies, 
Three simple words that we respond by saying, no thanks. Love your enemies. I'm good. Jesus, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Turn the other cheek after having already been struck once. Deny yourself over and over again. Forgive people on the regular. Not seven times, but how many? 77 times. Take the cloak off your back and give it to your neighbor. Sacrifice your own personal needs for the needs of someone else. Pick up and carry your cross and daily follow me. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you're following Jesus and you said to yourself, yeah, I don't know if I can really do all of that. On my best day, I'm probably, I'm probably at a two out of seven of those. Like that's, and I'm, I'm like in my devos, I'm walking with Jesus, I'm plugging away like, yeah, God, this is good. And even on my best day, man, I'm not, uh, I'm not batting a perfect average. I mean, there's no way that I'm even coming close to that. Have you ever had that moment? If you haven't, you're lying, okay? Uh, if, if you've been walking with Jesus in any length of time, you say to yourself, okay, I'm reading the red letters in my Bible. I don't know how I'm supposed to live up to that. And that's the point. That's why we need the Holy Spirit because he empowers us to live the lives that we're called to but can never live on our own. We do this little chant before service that comes out of Zechariah chapter four. And it's this little saying that we, we remind ourselves even just on a weekly basis as we gather for church here, our leaders remind ourselves, we're like, we need the Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't have a church gathering, a service apart from the Holy Spirit. There would be no church. There would be no, it, it would be a lifeless gathering of, of people. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we say, Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power that I urge myself or work myself to live the life that God has called me to live. It's constantly coming before the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, I don't have what it takes to live the life that you've called me to live. I need you. I need you. There is something about that prayer, that, that place of need that you find yourself in that I think blesses the heart of the Father more than anything. There's something deeply profound when his children come to him and say, oh God, I need you. I need you. Like, like people, like you and me, we, we're like, oh, get away, you needy person. Like, no, what do you mean? <laughs> like, we, we don't like needy people. Like, just go to someone else, right? Like, I don't need you know, But there's something about the heart of God. I'm telling you right now. I just, I, again, as, as long as I've been walking with Jesus, I, I, I've encountered this firsthand and I've seen this in the lives of others. And it's all throughout scripture where God is like, oh, I welcome the needy. That's why we open the service saying, hey, whatever needs you have, bring it before him because he wants to hear about it. Because not only does he want to hear about it, first of all, 
It's not like you're going to catch him by surprise. He knows your needs, but even before you know your needs, he wants to meet you in those places of need. It's in those places of need. It's, it's, it's when we say, oh, God, I need you, when God comes and meets with us and changes our lives. And so when we say, Holy Spirit, God, I need you. I need you. I, I, can't, I can't live this. You got to understand, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to go to the places and live the kind of life that we can never live on our own. I want to invite the worship team forward here. I want to close out with this one thought. And that is, what is our response to be? What is our response to be uh, to all of this? Like, how should we approach the Holy Spirit? Now listen, regardless of your church background, I don't care if you grew up cessationist or, or charismatic or continuationist or whatever, like theological term you want to attach to your church up, upbringing or your faith background. Maybe you have no faith background at all again. Regardless of any of that, how would God have us, I want us to think about this, how would God have us see the person of the Holy Spirit? How would God have us approach the third member of the Trinity, how would God have us approach the gift that is from God to us? How would God have us approach the successor who came after Jesus to carry the mission of the church throughout? How would God have us view this Holy Spirit of God, this person of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he's the one who regenerates us, he's the one who convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment? How would God have us approach this God, this Holy Spirit of God who empowers us to live the lives we cannot live on our own? How are we to respond to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? I want to respond by telling you about a guy by the name of D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists and the revivalists of our time. He founded Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and he lived his life fully devoted to preaching the gospel to anyone and everyone who would listen. He would go around just preaching everywhere. He had a heart for the gospel. He had a heart for people coming to know Jesus. But during his ministry, he came to a point where he sensed that something was missing. I wonder if you've ever felt that. You're walking with Jesus. You're going through your faith journey, and you're just like, man, it just feels like something's missing. I'm opening scripture every day. I'm spending time in his word and in prayer. I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm part of my fellowship. I'm, part, I'm going to church on Sundays. I'm doing all these things, but... Dang it, something is missing. I know something's missing. D.L. Moody felt that sense of tension in his own soul, and then it happened. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then everything changed. And it happened in a small little room. I would imagine similar to the upper room that the early church, the early uh, apostles and disciples were praying in happened in a small little room up in New York City. Because all good things come out of New York City. Praise Jesus. I'm from New York. And he recalls that moment by saying this. We don't have the quote up on the screen, but I want you to listen to what he said. There came a great hunger in my soul. I want you to, I want you to hang on to those two words, great hunger for just a minute. There came a great hunger hunger in my soul I did not know what it was and I began to cry out to God as never before so I was talking about like there's something that, that breaks the heart of God when his people come to him 
out of this place of need that says, God, I need you. I need you. I did not know what it was, and I began to cry out to God as never before. Sometime later, as I was walking in New York, God answered my prayer, and he says, ah, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. After this, I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths. And yet hundreds were converted. Something was missing. He was filled by the Holy Spirit, and now everything is different. And he closes out by saying, I would not now be placed where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. So what is our response to be to the Holy Spirit? Church family, I would submit to you, it should be one of great hunger. Great hunger. Not fear, not trepidation, not the heebie-jeebies, not like, Ugh. but one where, like the early church, they were waiting in the upper room, saying, Jesus, you said you were gonna send the helper, so we're gonna wait until he comes. We're gonna sit here in great hunger, and church family, my hope is that we would get to a point where, as Moody said, there came a great hunger in our souls where we cried out, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Can I pray that for us here in this place?